You're listening to High Temperature Times, bringing an industry as old as dirt into the new age of podcasting. My name is Griffin Patterson, and I'm an application specialist with Harbison Walker International. One critical trend in industry these days, and an absolutely awesome one at that, is incorporating key trackers relating to environmental sustainability. All the cool companies are doing it, and those that aren't surely will be in the near future. Industrial and residential energy production produce somewhere around 50 to 60% of the world's greenhouse gas emissions, and I think we've all come to the conclusion that we need to cut that in some way. But aside from HWI's own goals, how can a refractory supplier help with a customer's environmental sustainability goals? This month, we'll be talking with application specialist Mark Pomisiano regarding this topic in the aluminum industry, and application specialist Paul Stepanovich on the same topic in the glass industry. But before we get into that, I want to give HWI's Chief Technology Officer, Martha Collins, the opportunity to talk about what environmental sustainability means to HWI and some of the actions we're taking to be a more conscious supplier to the many industries we serve. Well, thank you very much, Griffin. It's always a pleasure to talk about sustainability and environmental responsibility at HWI. As a company, HWI has taken many actions that have a positive impact on the environment. It's really part of our culture. It's just not something we've tracked formally and and really talked a lot about. It's sort of a get or done um, mentality. Let me give you a couple of examples. We've taken back used refractory linings from our glass customers for many, many years and reclaimed those for use in new refractory products. Paul is gonna touch on this later on in this podcast. We also routinely recycle the raw material scrap and unused products in our plants as additional feedstock in production. We do that rather than them going to to landfill. And um, in our clay mining production, when we're done, we remediate the mines and they're returned to a natural state where plants and wildlife eventually populate what was previously a mine. We have some plants, production plants, that have um, changed out things like lighting for LED lights. We have some plants that recycle used oil. Um, We have projects uh, routinely that address things like cycle time reduction and firing temperatures, and those bring energy reductions in our plants. In 2021, things changed. We had a cross-functional employee-led ESG project that delivered recommendations to leadership on how the company could formally address the E part, environmental responsibility, S, social impact, and G, governance for vitality. And really sustainability as ESG was born as an initiative and the formal journey began. From an environmental responsibility perspective, the recommendation was for formal goals and projects that are related to reductions in energy usage and waste. An ESG council was formed early this year that includes senior leadership at HWI. And they, the leadership team, the council established goals, projects, and metrics for the company based on our employees' recommendations. This year, every one of our plants have waste and scrap reduction formal goals. And there's a new initiative to recycle materials that has been launched. We hired Nancy Easterbrook to direct that initiative. And you'll be hearing from her in a future High Temperature Times production. Her team will begin to work with customers beyond the glass market to reclaim used refractory linings for reuse versus having those materials go to landfill. We're pretty excited about that. And we're looking at our products and the offerings that we have 
currently to understand their environmental impacts and how they might aid our customers in their environmental goals. Plus, we're developing new products that have environmental benefits as part of the product development. So at the end of 2022, HWI will publish its first ESG report, and we will have public metrics on our external website. Great times here at HWI. So let's kick it off with the aluminum application specialist, Mark Pomasino, or as some people say, my secret co-host. Welcome, Mark. Hey, Griffin. Good to be here again. Again, yeah. <laughs> so why would you say aluminum is at the forefront of environmental sustainability in industrial processes? Well, aluminum is, is infinitely recyclable. Um, so unlike plastic that degrades in properties when you try to recycle it, aluminum metal never undergoes any degradation to its physical properties when you recycle it. Yeah, you have this this comment from a talk of yours that the carbon footprint for aluminum has been cut in half over the last 30 years. First off, that's the kind of pioneering attitude that you like to see, seeing improvement as far back as 30 years ago. But more importantly, can you tell us what kind of drivers led to this stark improvement in that time? Well, some of it's quite practical and economically driven, Griffin, because um, primary aluminum production, that is producing aluminum metal from bauxite ore um, is extremely energy intensive. So being able to take aluminum metal that, that doesn't degrade when you recycle it and recycle it, you know, takes the place of all of that primary aluminum production. So recycled aluminum, you know, what we call secondary aluminum, uses only 5% of the energy is aluminum smelted from bauxite. And as it's been a while since these days in my college education, but there's in the, the primary aluminum production, there's a lot of waste material, right? Well, more than more than waste material. I mean, yes, there there is some residual red mud, uh, which is a byproduct of, of all of the, you know, uh, non-aluminum oxide containing materials in the bauxite that has to be disposed of. But more than anything, it's just pure energy consumption, you know, that it's an electrolytic reduction and so the less uh, carbon intensive that the, the electricity production is, um, the more sustainable the aluminum is first, first and foremost. So you see countries with very, very uh, cheap and, and strong uh, hydroelectric power, geothermal power being the leaders right now in primary aluminum production. Out of curiosity, is... Recycled aluminum being utilized at 100% or is there still aluminum to be utilized out there? Well, I mean, that's a, that's a really interesting question. So there's a statistic that the aluminum industry loves to, to note, and that's that three quarters of the aluminum ever produced on planet Earth is still in circulation. Um, so aluminum manufacturers are trying their darndest to use as much post-consumer scrap um, truly recycled aluminum, not just scraps from their internal process. They're all getting really good at, at utilizing internal scrap. But now the goal is to use as much post-consumer scrap um, as, as possible. And so for every ton of that post-consumer scrap that an aluminum manufacturer uses, that offsets primary aluminum production. I imagine that's uh, two very different flavors of manufacturing yeah. internal scrap versus post-consumer yeah. scrap. Yeah, and if you think about it, so uh, 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 an aluminum beverage can, um, two-thirds of it is recycled, and a third of it comes from, from primary aluminum. 
Um, and it's a matter of keeping the, the alloys segregated. You know, there are, there are a lot of different aluminum alloys and, and each of those alloys has physical properties that, you know, you'd use for aircraft aluminum or auto body sheet or beverage cans. And, and you can't substitute one directly for another. So just like trying to keep track of your curbside recycling, aluminum manufacturers are trying their darndest to invest in separation technology in order to, to, to scrap as, as uniform and clean as possible, which allows them to put more post-consumer scrap in their product. So what does tomorrow's sustainably produced aluminum look like? Sure. It, it's using as, as, as much secondary aluminum as possible. And that stretches all the way along in the aluminum value chain. Um, the price of aluminum is high right now. The value of aluminum scrap is high. And so everybody's trying to squeeze every, literally every drop of aluminum they can out of every ton of scrap that's out there. So things that were not as easily recycled in the past, like uh, aluminum alloys with, with iron impurities, you know, dross without a whole lot of aluminum metal in it are all being recycled at higher rates than, than they ever have before because there's just not enough scrap out there. And it's so advantageous for these folks to use that secondary aluminum compared to the primary aluminum. So how, how does that impact refractory performance? So what it means is that aluminum suppliers, uh, want to run their furnaces as efficiently as possible. You know, the segregating the scrap, I mean, dirtier scrap leads to more impurities and can be more refractory attack. But really how, where refractories play a role in this equation is, you know, <laughs> refractories were invented to contain the fires of industry. <laughs> the more we contain the fires of industry, the less, you know, natural resources, the less fuel we have to use in order to melt aluminum. And so refractories with their insulating quality are at the forefront to helping aluminum producers lower their carbon footprint. Is there something to be said for environmental sustainability in running your units harder? Or is that just a business? Um, it's both. It's both. I mean, that's one of those places where, um, you know, good manufacturing practices, um, you know, running at slightly higher temperature, you know, Magnetic stirring, you know, this is a, a new method over the last 15 years that's gained prominence. Uh, it allows aluminum manufacturers to homogenize their metal faster, to use less energy. There's a lower temperature above the bath, so you have less delta T between like the roof of the furnace and the hearth. And so that means less, less energy consumption, but it ends up, uh, you know, you end up balancing the books on the back of the refractories you know, that we end up with higher average temperatures across the refractory, which inevitably leads to, to more wear. So that higher average temperature, magnetic stirring with, with metal sometimes circulating uh, around these furnaces like a, like a whirlpool um, leads to, to more refractory wear and more aluminum produced per unit natural gas per unit time. So it's good business and it's good for the environment. I wonder if that's the truth across all industry. I mean, I guess it would be because basically if you're able to produce more faster, it means you're being more efficient and efficiency is environment environmentally sustainable. Hell yeah. So aside from what producers are doing to impact their own sustainability goals, 
How can a refractory supplier help them become more environmentally sustainable? Sure. I mean, what we can do, Griffin, is is look at our wide portfolio of products and, and, and know which ones really are the best. Um, because inevitably, refractories are going to end up in a landfill. And so having the longest lasting, highest performing refractories um, is the most sustainable solution. That's more aluminum produced per ton of refractory. Um, second of all, we can develop products that balance insulating capability and things like aluminum corrosion resistance. So you can get the, you know, the best of both worlds, have some increased insulate, insulating capability, but also have you know, top flight aluminum corrosion resistance. And then kind of pulling that all together and having a, a full portfolio of products so that then we can design the next generation of secondary aluminum furnaces to use and waste the least amount of refractories possible, to waste and use the least amount of natural gas possible, to use and waste the least amount of flux possible and other process chemicals. So as, as much as I'm all for the next best-in-class refractory solutions, and this is an opportunity for you to, to flex some of that technical expertise of yours, are there any notable considerations that should be addressed before you incorporate new refractory technologies that could help increase furnace efficiencies? Yes, because because there is a trade-off, a very distinct trade-off um, with safety and reliability. Uh, the more that you insulate a furnace and the higher average temperature you have across the lining, um, the deeper into that lining molten aluminum will penetrate. So uh, if we all remember aluminum Molten aluminum is, is more fluid than water. So if, if there is a path or a crack or some way for the molten aluminum to get back into the refractory lining, it'll keep moving, penetrating into that lining until it freezes off. And so we call this the freeze plane. And the more you insulate a furnace, uh, the deeper into that lining the freeze plane will be. And so that, you know, one, it's part of a design consideration. You know, we like to, to design for for a freeze plane to be half to, to a two-thirds of the depth of the hot face material. But but that doesn't take into account, you know, furnace upsets. Opportunities when, you know, the aluminum producer is melting a low-melting alloy. Maybe they're running a little hotter because they're behind on production. So if you don't think about the whole furnace refractory operational system holistically, you can run into some, some real trouble, even though on paper you're doing all the best things to be sustainable. If aluminum metal starts leaking out of that furnace, boy, you just blew all those sustainability um, gains you were, you were making. Yeah, I, I think it's important to, to harp on that freeze plane topic. It's kind of opposite of what you might think. If you lower your shell temperatures, you're increasing your efficiency. But it actually means that the high temperature occurs deeper into the refractory, not more shallow like you might think. It's It, it come, comes to this point where you get this, if you look at the thermal profile, you get this really sharp decline in temperature at that insulating portion of your lining. Yeah. Yeah. And as usual, I mean, the refractory has to do more work. <laughs> cool. Thanks, Mark. I'm going to switch gears now, but I guess not really. I just switch guests. Let's tap in Paul Stepanovich to talk about sustainability in glass manufacturing. Welcome, Paul. Thank you, Griffin. Good to be on the podcast again. Yeah, definitely. I was immediately drawing some parallels between glass and aluminum in my conversation with Mark. There's a certain level of sustainability built into the glass industry with the recyclability of it all, right? 
Correct. Yeah, the um, what's known as call it would be reused glass. Uh, the customers, as much as they can, try to use uh, the call it. That takes less energy to melt compared to starting from scratch, and so it can reduce some of their uh, the fuel cost that they have associated with that. Earlier, when I was talking with Mark about recyclability in aluminum, we were talking about internal scrap versus post-consumer scrap and the recyclability of it all. And I'm sure glass is a little bit better with being able to use post-consumer, call it, yeah. as opposed to just internal. Correct. But uh, many sites, though, uh, will primarily use their uh, internal, hmm. call it. But yeah, definitely there, there is a need for using the external. And um, you'll find that more, I think, in uh, with the uh, container glass industry. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, that's exactly what came to mind, yeah. Yeah, and um, we do position ourselves for some of the impurities that might be introduced into the college stream. So in the case of container glass, we have products like uh, TZ748 RAM, TZ717 RAM, where you have some uh, metal encapsulation capabilities. So in case the metal is introduced into that college stream, it's going to want to have what's called downward drilling. So it would go through the refractory and the glass will follow. And so we have our... We've positioned ourselves with products to, to prevent that. Which is going to be great as more and more companies are probably considering trying to find or utilize or maybe just a political system to to do better recycling mm-hmm. and make it so manufacturers can use more call it. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So if, um, you know, in the case like of you'll, you'll see some, um, I don't know, like a water bottles where the metal caps like that ring that could stick around on there if it's going to be harder to keep that from getting into the into that recycled mm-hmm. into that college stream. So, with an industry wide business model just very heavily focused on the economic benefit of environmental sustainability, what's new in the glass industry, bringing it to the to the newer era of environmental sustainability? Well, the newest would be uh, looking at the use of hydrogen as a, a firing fuel. So there is a lot of work being done in the, the glass industry right now with that. There's a number of com- companies that are out there that are uh, have done some pilot programs, firing furnaces through the use of uh, hydrogen. So we're uh, actively watching that, how that, uh, what materials, make sure we have our materials positioned uh, properly for that as the uh, firing profile changes, the, the flame temperatures, the actions that occur. So there's uh Definitely a lot with that. In regard to the hydrogen, before you before you go on, are they just trickling in hydrogen with the intention that they're going to boost it over time, or are they going a full on hydrogen fire? They're doing a full on hydrogen fire. So um, wow. there, there's an article out there, I want, um, Pilkington in the UK, uh, by Liverpool and St Helens. They did a uh, uh, they full run running a float furnace fired with hydrogen. So there's uh, definitely some efforts. So can you give me a sense just of what's happening to the refractory in a hydrogen-fired glass furnace? Uh, unfortunately, I don't have uh, the feedback for that. So just okay. to hear what's occurring with those higher higher temperatures, if it's um, anything more aggressive to the, what's already being done. I mean, we're already at very high temperatures to begin so with. So it's generally just considered a hotter burn using Correct. hydrogen? yeah. Okay, yeah. interesting. That, that's my understanding of it. Yeah. So, but I mean, it's uh, it's early days. It's very early days in hydrogen firing for sure. Yeah, but uh, definitely a lot more being published about it. A lot more coming out. So we're we're closely monitoring uh, all the dynamics associated with that. So we make sure we're positioned with the, the right products for it. Mm-hmm. 
And then you were you're about to talk about another. Yeah, I was just going to mention that um, not necessarily new, but there there has been electric boosting for quite some time. So, as a way to uh, to try to do reduce NOx emissions, some companies are trying to have more. Uh, electric boosting, which also gives them the ability to use uh, green electricity produced from green energy to, to help with that. And then uh, in that scenario, we do have products that we offer that have some inherent electrical resistivity to help keep the energy in the furnace and uh, very common in the fiberglass industry with our uh, chrome alumina products with our jade family are positioned well to help the customers that have the electric boosting going on. Can you give me a sense of how how they achieve an electric boost? Are they using an arc? Are they? It, it's uh, electrode fired, so the uh, um, uh, they could have the electrodes coming up uh, through the bottom, or have the arm coming in from the the top uh, to to introduce that current into the system. In regards to the jade product, I'm, I'm guessing that having a product that can be conductive would allow some of the, that electricity to leave the system before it creates heat. Correct. Yeah. So that, that keeps the energy, keeps the, all the action that's occurring inside to keep the heat uh, generated to help the melt occur. So yeah, that's, uh, it provides them a definite benefit. And just like in our conversation with Mark earlier, HWI isn't just resting on our laurels with uh, refractory use in the glass industry. Refractories in the glass industry is actually a great example of adopting environmental sustainability measures before it was cool through through the development of reused refractory containing brands. Can you tell us a little bit about that product line? Sure. Uh, We've been offering that uh, uh, program for a little while now where we'll work with an outside vendor to help our customers with the removal of chrome containing products. Uh, Those products will then go to an outside facility to be um, processed and fused back into a grain that we can utilize again to produce new products. Uh, most often in our, uh, we have two brands out there, Chrome Luna called Reserve, uh, Reserve 30 and Reserve 50, utilizing this material that's been uh, reused. On so it's a great help to our customers and it's a good sustainability product offering that we have. Yeah, I mean, from the sustainability side, it's it's not like it's any worse than any grain that's used in non-reuse products because it's it's been fused again. So they've removed all those impurities. They've removed all of that that stuff from the initial process. Correct. And it has the same same high quality properties that you you'd get from a non-reuse product. That's right. It's, it's uh, just that that it's not been mined out of the ground again. Exactly. Yeah. Honestly, the, the glass industry is really unique in the sheer scale of the work required. And I'll need to make a note to come back and talk to you about that in greater detail for another episode. But, you know, there's a true relationship. And I got to talk to a, talk to a Brino about this uh, in the podcast before. There's this great relationship between glass manufacturers and refractory suppliers. And, I mean, it's, it's awesome. It's the level of communication you want with your customers, right? But to that end, I'm sure there's even more being developed by way of refractory suppliers contributing to a glass producer's environmental sustainability targets, right? Oh, yes. Yeah, we try to work closely wherever we can with them to help them, whatever they might require. So the situations I've already mentioned, if they're switching, making adjustments to how they fire, whether it's electric boosting or as they start heading down the path of hydrogen firing, um, promoting our reuse program where we're constantly, uh, or as they use more call, we're constantly working with them to, 
to make sure we have the right material, right product offerings. We're there for them as they uh, uh, try to make their, their process more environmentally friendly, more sustainable. Making HWI the first and only call. Right? That's, that's great. All right, Stellar. Thank you, Paul. And thank you again, Mark and Martha. Sometimes it can be challenging to be a material supplier so far away from an end product. But in this case, a refractory supplier who is conscious of the impact of refractories on environmental sustainability means we can have a real snowballing effect on making the world just a little bit better. And perhaps even more so, our experience with environmentally sustainable pioneering industries like aluminum and glass means that we can adopt proven strategies to other industries who are now looking to implement more environmentally sustainable practices. If you do happen to be in Dusseldorf for Glass Tech on September 20th through September 23rd and aluminum 2022 from September 27th through 29th, be sure to stop by our booths. We'll be in hall 13, booth D53 for Glass Tech and 6F11 for aluminum 2022 ready to talk more about how refractories can support your environmental sustainability goals. And if you'd like to discuss how refractories can help with your company's sustainability goals or learn more about the products mentioned in the show, definitely reach out to us at technical-marketing at thinkhwi.com. Be sure to tune in next month and the month after that and so on and so forth to catch all this excellent refractory discussion. Thanks for listening.